It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey everybody, welcome into another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis of MLBPipeline.com. Good show today as we're going to talk about a slew of 2020 players across the minor leagues, more than we've seen in in a long time. We're also going to look into the crystal ball and check out who's going to be the top 10 prospects in baseball one year from now. We'll also check out Willie Calhoun, who's been promoted, and talk about some prospects who took a long time to leave the top 100 list and, and graduate from it. So lots of topics to get to. I want to start with the top 10 prospects a year from now. Jim, you have an article out on the story, but I know you guys kind of came to this uh, collectively, I believe, and you had great success a year ago. So let's start there, Jim. Uh, if you guys want to pat yourselves on the back, because four of your top six when you tried to do this a year ago came to fruition. Yeah, you know, it was kind of a fun story to do when we came up with this last year, which was, you know, not only projecting who's going to be good, but who's still going to be in the minor leagues. And, you know, we did nail, like you said, four of the top six guys will be on our our top ten at the end of the season. Um, that's Gleyber Torres, who will rank number one since the guys move up when people graduate, Victor Robles, Eloy Jimenez, and Brendan Rodgers. Um, and then three other guys, we, we I don't know if we get credit for them, but we had Ahmed Rosario, who is currently the number one player on the list and will graduate sooner than expected. And also Cody Bellinger and Raphael Devers, two players who didn't necessarily project to get a lot of playing time. We thought they'd still be rookies at this point. Prospects, um, and they, their talent just forced the issue. So the only, the only three guys we really missed on were Austin Meadows, who got hurt, um, and Mickey Moniak and Kevin Maiton, who I think may resurface in the top ten or surface in the top ten at some point down the line. They were just very young for their leagues and, and, and showed their potential but didn't really dominate. All right, so the top ten that you've come up with for next year uh, goes like this. Number one, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the Blue Jays. Then Glaber Torres, uh, interesting at number two. Luis Robert, number three. Bo Bichette, four. Fernando Tatis Jr., five. Brandon Rogers six, Mackenzie Gore seven, Hunter Green eight, Forrest Whitley nine, and Juan Soto ten. Now, when you look at that group, the biggest leaper as far as where they are at the end of this year or where they are right now is Fernando Tatis Jr. He's number 51 in the top 100. You guys have him up to number five. Jonathan, what is it that makes you feel like he's going to be able to just make that kind of a leap in the next year? Is it just kind of the leap he made this year? Yeah, and I think it's you know how he finished this season. Uh, Jim and I were <clears throat> were joking with each other, you know, for for a half a second before realizing that we didn't want to do this, nor did we at the time. But you know, you could make the argument that we should do an end of year top 100 re rank uh, because more time goes by, you get a better sense. Uh, but you could you know you make the argument we could re rank every month if that was the case. But you, know, you look at where Tatis is now, and it's pretty clear that he's too low. Uh, you know, on the current 100. Uh, so, uh, yes, this 
it's a reflection of that we think he's going to continue to to do what he's been doing and, and do it at you know higher levels. Uh, but I think it's also a recognition that uh, perhaps 51 uh, it was uh, is a tad conservative based on what he was able to do at age 18 um, while reaching double A. You know, to go 2030 um, and reach double A as a teenager. Uh, that I don't think it's that big of a leap to to see him in in this top ten. Now it's interesting. You do have Torres at number two, currently number one. Um, the reason I bring him up, Jim, is that obviously there's the injury there, but there is some expectations that um, he should be pretty much ready to go for the season in 2018. Um, so I would think there's a good chance that he could graduate by the end of last year. But then you look at the Yankee roster and maybe it's a, a question of where he would fit with a, a team that's pretty set right now in the infield positions. Yeah, and then that's exactly what it is. I mean, there's some guesswork involved with this. Don't let uh, Harold Reynolds uh, hear that he's going to come back very quickly, uh, <laughs> Tim, since he disagreed with that notion when we did our, our mid-season top 100 prospect show on MLB Network. But uh, it, when I was projecting this, it was more – that was my thought exactly. I don't think he's got a clear spot to the lineup. I, I do think if he had not gotten hurt this year, maybe the Todd Frazier trade doesn't happen, and he would have been their third baseman. Um, but I, I'm not sure he's going to have a clear spot in the lineup uh, you know, early on in the season, I think we'll see him in the big leagues. He's still very young. He's barely played in AAA. And so I think there's still a good chance he'll be a rookie at the end of the year. Although you could argue that one either way. Just like, you know, it's funny, Twitter, yeah, I've gotten a bunch of responses, including one guy who just tweeted that he only agreed with two of my choices, who were, were Quinto Dentally, both the Blue Jays, and, and then he put together a list of all guys with the best strikeout-to-walk ratios in the minors. Um, I'm not sure we'll see. Alex Wells in our top ten at the end of next year. But but anyway, uh, a lot of people were like, you know, well, where's Ronald Acuna? Well, I think Acuna is going to graduate. And, and, you know, where's Eloy Jimenez? You know, Jimenez was probably the toughest call of the guys I left off in terms of guys I thought would graduate. E- Eloy obviously would be on there, but I just think he's so talented that, I, you know, as a hitter and a slugger, uh, that I, I think it's going to be kind of the Raphael Devers path. I mean, a year ago when we were doing the list, Devers was playing in high class A, and there was no real realistic way that you would have thought, okay, he'll be playing in the big leagues and he'll be playing enough that he won't be on the list. And that's, I just think Eloy Jimenez is going to force the White Sox hand. So Torres, Torres was probably the toughest guy on there, or the guy I guess on there who I have maybe the least faith will be rookie eligible at the end of next season, if that makes sense. Absolutely, and it makes sense also that most of these guys, going with that point, are guys that are um, at the lower levels or, or recently drafted guys, Mackenzie Gore and, and Hunter Green and, and guys like that. Um, who's another guy? on? Or I guess I won't go that direction. I'll go number one in Vladimir Guerrero, Guerrero Jr. Um, what makes him number one in your minds a year from now? Jonathan, why don't you go? It's your turn. I, I think I've talked enough about okay. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I was just going to oh, say, every so this my podcast streak, but we'll let Jonathan rave about him <laughs> this time. That's fine. I mean, I will say that uh, you know, this was Jim's story. Um, uh, that said, I, I probably would have Guerrero won. Uh, it's now sounding like maybe you have some fake Twitter accounts and you're taking shots at me. Maybe some of these guys taking shots at me on Twitter or, Correct. or Jonathan Mayo with like a, a shadow account. My no, my Russian bots. Um, but yeah, no, I know. I think actually, you know, based on uh, you know, Jim's tradition of who would graduate, yeah, I think Guerrero uh, is probably makes sense just because of of the the offensive upside 
uh, and it's not raw. You know, he already showed he can hit with power and with plate discipline. Um, I like the Miguel Cabrera comp that Jim made in the, in the in the story, and that might sound lofty, but I think he has a chance to be that kind of hitter, and that kind of hitter ends up. Uh, at, you know, uh, at the top of the list. Uh, you know, if you told me that Labor Torres would be number one a year from now, I could certainly buy that if he comes back and he's fine and uh, is back to doing what he was doing before. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why he's uh, going to be at the top of the list at, the, at this year's end, even though he's been out with the, with the elbow injury. So uh, I think uh, he is the, the best bet of those you know, to be number one. You know, Tatis Jr. is sort of interesting because of the power-speed combination. That's always intriguing. Um, but I have uh, more, I think, a little bit more faith that Guerrero is going to continue to be a special hitter as he reaches the upper, as he continues to, to, to move up the Blue Jays' organizational ladder. Jonathan, you mentioned this was Jim's story on Pipeline. So let's switch over to your story uh, recently, and that is about the um, outbreak of 2020 players in the minor leagues, 10 of them this year. Uh, 2017, and let's start just there. How historic uh, a season was it as far as uh, players that hit for power and stole bases? It, it you know fairly historic. Uh, we haven't had double-digit 2020 performers in the minors since uh, 2007, so it's been 10 years. Um, and you know, 2020 I think is tough enough. And then you keep in mind that, uh, as I point out, you know, the, the minor league season is only 140 games long. Um, and, you know, so they don't get the, the benefit of the extra 22 games that big leaguers do. Um, that being said, it should be noted that Mike Trout was 2020 this year, 96 games in, which is insane. <laughs> that's, that's neither here nor there, but, uh, you know, interestingly enough, you know, the 10 guys, I think all, but one of them are on the top 30 list. Um, and none of them had done it before. Um, Derek Fisher, uh, had he been in the minors more, I think would have done it. That he would have been come become the first guy, at least in the last 30 years, to do it three times to, to go to 2020. Uh, and he, I haven't checked the stats if he's stolen another base. He was 2019 if you combined his major league and minor league stats um, when the story came out. So uh, kudos to him for that. Everybody else was a, a first time 2020 guy, um, and with a lot of the younger guys. Uh, you know, we mentioned Tatis Jr., Acuna. Um, uh, the, you know, Jose Siri deserves a mention from the Reds because he was he and Acuna were twenty forty twenty homers, forty stolen bases on the year. So when you look at the list and the full list is Acuna, uh, Tatis Jr. You mentioned Siri, Monty Harrison, Sam Hillier, Daniel Johnson, uh, Scott Kingery, DJ Stewart, Troy Stokes, and Kyle Tucker. Uh, is it fair to say, Jim, that when you look at these guys, obviously different guys at different levels of the minors, not all 2020 seasons in minor league baseball are kind of created the same? Well, I think that's true. Although I will say, you know, when you look at this list, I think it's a pretty good representation of prospects. I mean, you've got, you know, Acuna, who's our MLB pipeline hitting prospect of the year. You have Fernando Tatis Jr. and Kyle Tucker who, like Acuna, are two of the very best prospects in baseball. Tucker's another guy that I think will hit his way to the big leagues by the end of next year. He would have been in that top ten story. Uh, Scott Kingery, uh, now that Mankata's graduated, I think Ozzie Albies is a day or two away from graduating. Uh, Scott Kingery will be the best second-base prospect in baseball. So there's some big names on here. And, and then the guys who aren't as big names, 
are, are very solid prospects, too. Daniel Johnson, I think, is, is kind of one of the, the sleeper prospects who just puts up numbers everywhere he goes. He gets overshadowed in the national system, but I really like him. Yeah, DJ Stewart's a former first-round pick who finally got going this year. You know, Monte Harrison got first-round money out of the draft a couple of years ago, got started getting going this year. You know, Jonathan mentioned Jose Siri who has, you know, you know, taken a little while to get going after signing internationally, but he's he's really cooled up. Sam Hilliard is, is kind of maybe not known to people outside the Rocky system that much, but he's really tooled up too. Uh, I mean, it, it's a very impressive group of players. I, I think, Jonathan, if I'm not mistaken, the only guy not on a top 30 list, and I assume he will be going forward, is, is Troy Stokes Jr., yeah. who has always shown some speed, and this year the, the power really you know took up a notch. Yeah, he really, uh, he was a guy who had, I think, stolen, um, you know, I don't have his his page in front of me, but, you know, if I remember, he had, you know, he'd stolen a bunch of bases, you pointed out, and then he just completely, uh, you know, let me see, I have it here. He reached 20 steals for the third straight year, but he had nine career homers um, before this year, and uh, was 20-30 this year, so 20 homers and 30 steals, so. Um, yeah, adding the power, I think he certainly. Even if the you know the Brewer system is pretty good, I think Stokes probably belongs somewhere on that list in 2018. So when you look into the future and mm-hmm. when these guys get to the major leagues, and hopefully they all find their way to the big leagues, Jonathan, are most of these guys guys that could replicate this at the big league level? Um, I think a lot of them could. Uh, you know, uh, uh, DJ Stewart is probably the guy that surprised me the most. Um, although he has stolen uh, 20 plus bases now in each of his two full seasons, um, but uh, he's not a guy who's like a burner. I think he's just a really good base runner. Uh, so I think guys like that, once they get to the highest level, uh, you know, I, I would expect a, a little bit of a downtick in the stolen bases between, you know, pitchers being able to hold runners on better, catchers are touched better, and, and guys just invariably will get slower. I, I don't know that he's a guy that necessarily would be uh, 20-20. Um, and the rest of them, uh, especially the high-end guys like Tatis and Acuna, um, I think Kingery probably fits. I could, I could see them maybe fitting the bill. I think, you know, the flip side will be the guys that will, will they hit enough as they get to the upper levels? You know, will Jose Siri hit enough to, to reach double digit homers? Will Monte Harrison continue to hit, you know, sort of he found his stroke after, uh, you know, it, it took him a, a couple of summers to really kind of get going, uh, to tap into the power that they clearly have. Uh, we'll have to see how that plays out as they move up the ladder. All right, before we move on, we want to take a second to tell you about the Fantasy 411 podcast. If you're still in contention to win your league this season, I am not. Fred Zinke and Matthew Leach can give you the edge in any format. Last week's episode named a few players on hot streaks who could help your squad, especially if you need steals or starting pitching. Before you set your lineup or hit the waiver wire, subscribe the Fantasy 411 podcast on Apple Podcasts today. And I had a heartbreaking loss and. We have a head-to-head league quarterfinals. I led seven to three going into Sunday. My team collapsed, and I lost five to four. Disappointing end for the Boston Big Beans in 2017. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, Willie Calhoun, guys, is uh, a guy that's 
kind of a late promotion um, up to the big league club, but he's a, an exciting guy who's uh, heading up to the Rangers now. Uh, first game, first at-bat, he came through with his first base hit and RBI. Since then, as we record this, he has been hitless, but he tore it up in the minors this year. Uh, the slash line was 300, 355, 572. He had a 927 OPS, 31 homers, and he came over in the U Darvish deal. Um, he came from the Dodgers. He hit 27 home runs a year ago, 31 this year. Um, I don't know who is more locked in on Rangers-Dodgers. Who wants to start this discussion of, of what Rangers fans should be most excited about with Willie Calhoun? Well, that would well, ahead, probably Jim. be me just because I do both of those top 30s. So it was uh, I've covered him with both teams. And, you know, I think the interesting thing with Willie Calhoun is – if you look at him, I, I, I think of all the, the players in the minor leagues, there are very few who combine the ability to hit for power and make contact like, like he does. You know, he, as you mentioned, Tim, he had 31 homers this year, fifth in the minors, struck out just 61 times. Uh, the other 10 minor leaguers who hit 30 home runs averaged 133 strikeouts apiece. And, I mean, this has been his M.O. throughout pro ball is he hits for power, but it's you know it's not like he sells out and, and you're going to get 150 plus strikeouts to go with it. Plus, you look at the ballpark he's in, which is tailor made for guys who hit for power. Um, you know, so I think he's a guy who, even though he was a later call up, he wasn't called up right when the rosters expanded September 1st. He could really make a, an impact on the Rangers as they try to stay in this wild card race that involves seemingly half the half the American League. The Rangers have some a uh, number of, of injuries. They're down a few guys. They don't have an obvious left fielder right now. He's been up for two days in the big leagues and started both days. Um, you know, as you mentioned, he's one for six so far but you know i think if he produces he could be their left fielder down the stretch and you know going into next year i think he's got a chance to carve out regular playing time there you know even though the dodgers moved him very aggressively sending him to double a in his first full pro season and then up in triple a this year before the trade there isn't much left for him to prove in the minors i mean he had a really nice year in triple a you know as we mentioned the 31 homers you know they had a, an ops of about 927 if i'm doing my math correctly and, you know, he's only 22 years old, but I really don't think there's much more for him to prove at the AAA level. So we, 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 he may never go back to the minors. And, you know, this, you know if he sees his opportunity, he could grab a starting job or, or go a long way toward grabbing a starting job for next year. You mentioned the outfield, and that's where he is playing, and that's where he's been playing in the minors with the Rangers. But he played second base for the most part with the Dodgers. Jonathan, um, is he a guy that, as an outfielder, could be a, a good defender? Is there a long way to go in that regard? I think good defender and Willie Calhoun are phrases that should not meet in the same sentence. I think Fair enough. the first person ever used them in the same sentence before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, he, he is definitely one of those that, you know, best position is batter's box. Um, I can't remember if I... I told the story on here or was elsewhere, but you know, one of my favorite stories that I had heard sort of secondhand about Willie Calhoun is when he first got to, I don't know when he first signed or he first got in the Dodgers organization, they asked him what, you know, what his position was. And he said three hole. So um, he knows what he is. He's a hitter. I think he'll be okay in left field, you know, uh, eventually. Um, and I think he's going to hit enough that no one's going to care. Uh, maybe eventually he ends up being a DH only. I, I don't know. Um, uh, you know, he doesn't really look like a first baseman. Um, but uh, so I think left field is, is is your best bet. Second base was rough. 
Um, it's not that he didn't work at it. Um, could he have been serviceable there? Uh, again, the offense would have sort of made you look past any of that. I think he's less likely to be a liability in left field than he could be at second base. I did a podcast with Jim Duquette yesterday, and he shared the exact same story about Willie Calhoun and being asked uh, what position is his favorite and him saying three holes. So I guess that's kind of the legend of Willie Calhoun is that quote from when he first got uh, into professional ball. All right. Uh, Yohan Moncada and Lucas Giolito. They are longtime pipeline guys, prospects who spent a long time in the top 100, and, and both of them at some point were in that top spot, number one, and they have both finally graduated. So it, it's almost like we need to have a, a moment of silence as they both graduated. The difference being that Mankata graduated as the number one prospect in baseball, and Giolito at the time of graduation was kind of heading in a different direction, Jim, um, but, but they both say goodbye to the lists. Um, when we do this sort of thing, do you, I mean, you guys get a little tired of talking about these guys eventually, don't you? I don't know if I'd say tired of talking about them, but definitely tired of ranking them. I mean, yeah. an example from a couple of years ago, and I still believe in him, and his defense alone makes him a good big leaguer, was Byron Buxton, where he just barely qualified for the list again heading into 2016. I think he was a couple at bats short. And, and I still believe in Byron Buxton, but I know Johnson and I had talked that September saying, be really nice if you went over 130 at bats because you, you know you run out of things really to say about him and, and everybody knows you're going to rank him and I think it's the same thing uh, with with these guys you know Mankata uh, you know you know it's funny you know Mankata's up uh, I guess he's up over the Mendoza line but I mean, you know I hear from people who are a little incredulous that we still believe in Mankata yeah you probably do too Jonathan oh he strikes out a lot and yeah, you know, he needs to cut his strikeouts. But the other thing to remember is <laughs> this guy's 22, and, you know, you ask people for comparisons. I mean, you hear, you know, Robinson Cano with more speed. You know, maybe he's not Cano's, you know, it doesn't have Cano's pure hitting ability, but he's got the power, and he's faster, and I think he's going to be a good second baseman. You also hear him compared to, like, a an SEC defensive back if he was, uh, like, a senior playing college football. Like, he's built like that. I mean, he's ripped. Um, and the guy's still really gifted. You know, Giolito, you know, I'm glad we don't have to rank him again because, frankly, I don't know where to rank him. He, you know, and the thing is that's been encouraging for the White Sox is he's pitched pretty well in his five big league starts since he came up at the end of August. He was up and down in AAA. times he looked good. Other times he didn't. And it's just it's tough. If you, if you talk to scouts about him like Jonathan and I do, uh, you know, two years ago, this guy, Giolito, was as good as any pitching prospect in baseball. I think we had him ranked as the best pitching prospect in baseball. And now you hear from a lot of scouts, and I never heard this at all in 2015, but you hear it all the time now when you ask scouts about him. There's just a lot of questions as to whether he has the athleticism to repeat his delivery enough to get the most out of his stuff on a consistent basis. And, you know, his year has been so up and down in AAA and out in the big leagues, there are times where I'm like, man, i just ready to wash my hands of him a little bit. And then he goes on a roll. But, I mean, three of his last four starts in the big leagues, he gave him four runs in six innings his first start. He's given up five runs and four starts since then, and three, or four earned, five earned runs. But three of his starts have been quality starts. You know, just last night, you know, six and third innings, you know, one run. Um, he had 10 strikeouts and seven innings against the Rays uh, about 10 days ago. Uh, so there's still something in there. And I, I guess, you know, I, I think, I'm curious what Jonathan says, but 
I still subscribe to the fact that two years ago, you know, you could argue that he has good a fastball and as good a curveball as just about anybody in the minor leagues, and he's only 22, so I, I'm not ready to give up on him, even though a lot of scouts I've talked to are, are kind of down on him. Yeah, they, they were. I mean, he, he definitely went in the wrong direction um, for quite some time, uh, and there are any number of explanations that I've heard as to the, the why. Um, you know, and I think the change of scenery helped. Um, in terms of the repeating of the delivery, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, my understanding is he has gone back to something much closer to what he did at the very start of his career than what he had done previously, you know, that he had sort of worked to change to. Um, those changes didn't seem to take. So uh, whether that leads to long-term success or not, we'll have to see. You know, he seems more comfortable in you know, what I've seen of him in the big leagues than uh, than previously. So, uh, yeah, he did slide in the top 100 based on his performance during the season, which was very up and down. Um I'm glad we don't have to rank him anymore. I hope you know, it, you know, having gotten to know him uh, over over the years, a um, couple of uh, futures games, some fan fest appearances with us. Um, he's an easy guy to root for, and he's smart. Um, you know, maybe that got gets in his way too uh, in terms of how thoughtful he is. Sometimes you just have to go out and turn that part of your brain off and just go out and compete. And hopefully what he's doing right now down the stretch for the White Sox is more a sign of what he's, he, he's going to do. I, I love nothing more than to, quote-unquote, get it wrong with a guy in that direction, like to look back and say, boy, maybe we shouldn't have knocked him down into the, I think it was in the 60s you know, when we did our, when we did our re-rank. Uh, I, ho- I hope that's the case with him. I wonder if some of the struggles or number of struggles this year in AAA, I wonder how much he was just kind of, I mean, I, I know he's just – he was up at the majors with the Nats last year, up and down a little bit, and then to spend most of this year back in the minors. There had to be some frustration, and now he seems to be pitching better at the major league level. Maybe he was able to kind of, okay, this is it. Finally, I'm back in the major leagues, and he's been able to turn it up a notch. But talking about guys that you guys didn't give up on and, and sometimes other people started to question, Jim, you mentioned him briefly, Byron Buxton, who was ranked forever, obviously, and you guys held on to keeping him at number one. For for a long time, when there was a lot of Chris Bryant talk, and obviously Chris Bryant is a great player, no doubt about that. It's taken Byron Buxton a long time, probably plenty of reasons for that. Rushed originally, maybe all the injuries, but over the last two months, we are seeing what all the hype was about. Um, Jim, as someone who's ranked him highly, and and you guys staying with that. How, how refreshing is it? How excited does it make you to see Byron Buxton doing what he's doing right now, which is stealing bases, hitting for power, playing gold glove outfield, just doing it all? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for him. I mean, you know, part of what Jonathan and I do is you're going to be wrong sometimes. So I don't necessarily, I'm not sitting here pumping my fist going, take that. You know, I knew Byron Buxton was good, but I'm happy for him. I mean, the thing to remember, too, about these guys, yeah, and you touched on it. I mean, he was promoted to the big leagues, I think, faster than he should have been given. He had an injury fill. You know, he had the breakout year in the minors where he was drawing Mike Trout comparisons. Then he was hurt the next year, and they spent most of the next year after that in the big leagues. Um, and it was just too, I think, a little too quick for him. And, and he started to catch up. You know, is he ever going to draw a lot of walks and be high on base percentage guy? You know, maybe not. You know, I mean, do you wish he made a little bit more contact? Sure, but. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here just looking at his baseball reference page. 
he's already, you know, he's a five-war player this year. Now, granted, you know, three-war, you know, 3.1 of that war is on defense, but he's also been a good offensive player, too. I mean, he, he's stolen 25 bases. He's only been caught once. There's that elite speed we knew he had. You know, he's starting to tap into the power with 14 home runs. He only has 11 doubles, which is kind of curious, but I think he's continuing to develop as a hitter. And I wouldn't be surprised if he developed into a perhaps maybe not quite as much power, but into like a Mike Cameron type player where he doesn't hit for high average, but he's still extremely valuable. And he he is going to hit for some power. He's going to be faster than Mike Cameron. And I mean, I'm with you. I mean, it's, well, I mean, there's some good center fielders in the American League, but I mean, you see some of the plays he makes. He also has a cannon arm too. I mean, he, he probably should win a gold glove this year. And, you know, it's, I mean, he's having an okay offensive year, but it winds up being a tremendous overall year because of the the value he brings on the bases and in the outfield. And the guy's only 23. He's going to continue to get better. Yeah, and for two months he was bad offensively, and since then he's been very good. So it evens out. The average, I think, overall is about 250, but but since the beginning of June it's been a a lot better than that. Uh, Jonathan, when you think about Buxton, because of the injuries and he's still young, he's doing it in a pennant race too. We should mention that uh, right now with the Twins in that second wild card spot. But is he a guy that's going to continue to uh, make some leaps here as far as improvement because of all the injuries that held him back? I think so. Um, you know, he's had to. He's been forced to sort of develop in the big leagues, uh, and that often doesn't go well. To his credit, you know, uh, and I think the. What's happened, you know, in the second half here is that he he made the adjustments. Uh, he stayed on the field long enough uh, to to really start to figure things out and figure out what he needs to do to succeed. Um, and uh, I, I think you're going to continue to see that he's still he's still so young as as you pointed out. So like I think there's there's definitely more uh, to come. Uh, and and I, I agree overall with Jim. I don't think he's ever going to necessarily be a guy who hits 320. Um, but I don't. It would also shock me if he ended up hitting for a better average uh, than Mike Cameron did. And I'm not taking anything away from from Mike Cameron. I mean, he had a tremendous career, and if that's what Buxton ends up being, that's a really good baseball player. Um, but I, I think that uh, you might still see some more maturation in terms of his offensive approach uh, that will will help him uh, sort of maximize what his ridiculous raw tools are. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next week.